Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 12 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2017, Resolved, Why the Reformation Matters Today. We now join Daniel Cavanaugh for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. Before we go to the Word again, I am grateful for Dewey and Dad and Matt who have already kind of laid a good foundation and I think this message tonight will be good to in some ways begin to codify everything that we are hearing this week. So um, let's go to Lord in prayer and seek Him. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for you being with us. Lord, we need you. We are not worthy of your grace and your mercy in our lives. When we come to the Word, we are reminded of how frail and weak that we are. When I study your Word, I see how much further I need to go as I walk and grow in Christ. And Lord, tonight we want to catch a glimpse of who you are. We want our view to be bigger than what it was when we began. We want our view of God to be enlarged so that we can live as we should because the bigger the view we have of God, the more we will glorify you in all that we do. Father, I pray that you would bless this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as Dad and I was walking or working through the process of who would teach on what, um, we began to kind of divide up the different solas. Obviously, we've talked about the importance and the significance of the solas in the Reformation. And um, I personally asked for um, sola deo gloria, uh, God's glory alone, not because I felt it was the easy one, <laughs> but because um, I kind of was drawn to that one. And as I got into it more, um, I began to grow myself, but this one sola, I feel like, has been upon my heart in, over the last several years, and so in some ways, this message is just a flushing out of some of the things that God has been teaching me, uh, in particular in the book of Romans and on this particular topic. And the Reformers, if you get the opportunity, um, once you leave, leave here, to study about them, you will find that they were consumed with God's glory. That's what drove them to uh, teach and write about the things that they did. Martin Luther, John Calvin, and so many others. And uh, when we take the time to think and reflect on why the Reformation still matters for us today, we would be remiss if we overlook the profound and foundational truth of God's glory. Um, this here is the motivating factor for our lives. It is the reason. God's glory and God's glory alone. Our faith, and we're going to see here, God's grace, His scripture, Christ's work in us is for His glory 
alone. And this is the one thing that drove the reformers to do what they did. And the passage of scripture we're going to look at here is Romans chapter 11, in particular verses 33 through 36. Originally we thought maybe just 36, but as I began to study it, I felt like we needed to go up to 33 because we find here what we call, or what has been called, the Roman doxology. Paul has been waxing eloquent for almost 11 chapters, and although there weren't 11 chapters when he wrote, we have here 11 chapters. And so for 11 chapters, he's been waxing eloquent on the issue of theology, in particular God's salvation and his glorious work in our life, explaining what that means, expounding on what that means, and he's just spoken about Israel and the Gentiles and how we're grafted in and so forth. And he spent a lot of time on this deep subject. In fact, Romans is something I would encourage you to dig into. It is the thesis for the Christian life. But Paul is still left, as he gets to the end of this chapter 11, he's still left with an overwhelmed, or I should say a sheer wonder of the meditations that he has just had upon the salvation that he's just spoken of. And we have here before us a doxology. I know that we sang the doxology before Dewey got up to speak. And you may be saying, Daniel, is, is the doxology just something that we sing? And so probably for you, a definition of the doxology would be good so you understand what we're talking about. And I wish these thoughts were my own, but from various other people that I've read, I was able to put together what I hope is a good, concise meaning of doxology. A doxology refers to something God has or will do and is expressed in the praising of His attributes that account for the acting out of His perfect sovereign will. Let's read that again. A doxology refers to something God has or will do and is expressed in the praising of His attributes that account for the acting out of His perfect sovereign will will. Basically, Paul can do nothing but give this doxology. And he says here in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And to which we say, Amen. The prophet Daniel knew of this same overwhelming reality as he responded with a doxology when God answered his prayer to reveal the mystery of the king's dream. And if you remember that story, you remember that the king had had a dream and no one in the land could come up with the meaning of this dream. And if no one did, then many were going to die. A lot of people were in trouble. A lot of the wise men of that time would be in trouble, including Daniel. And so he got together with his friends and they prayed. 
And he says here, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Praise and glory be to God from which all things come. For from him, through him, and to him be all things. And tonight as we look at this passage, as we look at Paul's doxology here, there are three things that I want to see. And I want to say those, and maybe you can kind of repeat them back to me so that we can kind of wake up, because I know you guys are going to fall asleep, your stomachs are full, and <laughs> I don't blame you. I would be doing the same thing. So first of all, we're going to see the confessions of His glory, the questions of His glory, and the culmination of His glory. So first, the confessions of His glory. Let's say it together. The confessions of His glory, the questions of His glory, the questions of His glory, and the culmination of His glory. The culmination of His glory. There, hopefully we'll wake up a little bit. First of all, the confessions of His glory. And Paul just simply, I couldn't do anything better than what he said here. So my outline is basically what Paul says. He is rich in wisdom and knowledge, unsearchable in His judgments, and impossible to understand. There is no human evidence or reasoning that destroys who God is. There is no human interference to the perfect will of God. We serve a God who is eternal, and when compared with human finiteness, our inability, all that man can come up with is confusion at best. And this is where Paul is at. And he says he is rich in wisdom and knowledge. You know, it's interesting, when we think of the concept of being rich, it, it's, it's something that we kind of have to hopefully kind of put in context of where we live now. And, and, and when I looked up to see who the richest man in the world was, I thought I knew, and it was confirmed, the richest man in the world is Bill Gates. He's worth almost $90 billion. Now, I don't know if you can put your mind around that. $90 billion. If you were to buy a Ferrari, that's like you and me spending 20 bucks. Probably less. It's, it's unfathomable. The amount of money he has. There's nothing that he can't buy. There's nothing here on this earth that he cannot get. His riches are hard to comprehend. Yet our God is eternally incomprehensible in his riches or richness of wisdom and knowledge. The confession here, oh, the depth, is an overwhelming confession that there is no decision or happening in this world that is not already known and beyond the mind and control of our God. 
We do not serve a God who is taken by surprise. And what a comfort there is to know that all things have been in his perfect wisdom and endless knowledge predetermined for his great glory and yes, even our personal good. This is why Paul, when considering these great truths has just been written about, can only make these humble confessions. He is rich in wisdom and knowledge. Then he is unsearchable in his judgments. God's glory comes from, and this is not a word, I made this up, okay? It comes from Daniel's dictionary, so bear with me here. But God's glory comes from the deep unsearchability of who he is in his judgments, which for us is even harder to grasp. You've heard this passage before. It gets quoted, I feel like, a lot. But Isaiah, he knew something of this. In Isaiah 55, he says, "For my, or I should say the Lord is saying to Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is no comparison to the judgments of God. Only something as infinite as heaven can display a picture of how unsearchable the judgments of God really are. Did you get that? Paul is saying, or I should say Isaiah is saying here, or the Lord is saying here, that the only thing that can describe my judgments is the fact of heaven, which is eternal. Put your mind around that. Try to grasp that. Who in this room has not doubted the judgments of God? I want a show of hands of anyone who has not doubted the judgments of God. That's what I thought. We have all done it, right? We've wondered, God, what are you doing? Where are you taking me? Yet who in this room can say they are infinitely perfect in their judgments? Can anybody here say that your judgments have been perfect all the time? Anybody? Who in here can make the right decisions 100% of the time? This we can know. God's judgments are infinitely good and right all the time. Always have been, always will be. God is not sitting there wondering which decision he should make next. His decisions have always been made. He has always been the perfect judgment of all things. He is rich in wisdom and knowledge. He is unsearchable in his judgments. He is impossible to understand. In this confession of Paul, and and just, I want you to imagine here for me a minute. Let's just pause here. Think about this. Paul has spent a lot of time teaching the people of God. And I just really get this feeling, Paul is like, I don't even know what else to say. He's rich in wisdom and knowledge. He is unsearchable in his judgments. And he is impossible to understand. In this confession, we find maybe the most humanly incompatible confession out of all the Paul states here in these confessions. The ESV uses the word inscrutable. But what Paul is basically saying is it is impossible to understand God fully. And you're going, okay, then... How in the world can we seek and understand him? I mean, does not 
His words say, know the mind of Christ. Does it not say, seek first the kingdom of God? Paul is not seeking to discourage us with some impossible task. Rather, he is increasing our view of God. Did you catch what I'm saying? Paul is increasing our view of God. This issue is not that God is impossible to understand or know fully. After all, Paul has just spent 11 chapters waxing eloquent and what God or who he is and what he has done and what he will do. And it could be added that he did it with great depth. If you read the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, they're deep. No, the issue is, is, the issue I should say is, are we satisfied with God who is not like us? And does this understanding produce faith in him alone, or does it cause us to rest upon our own human inability? So what does it do? Does it produce faith alone in God? Faith that is sustaining? Faith that looks to Christ alone by His grace alone? It looks at the Scriptures, the promises that are written, and it trusts God alone? Or does it cause you to begin to trust your own human inability? We've seen the confessions of God's glory. Now we come to this next section here. And once again, I'm just going to let Paul kind of walk us through it. We, we see now the questions of God's glory. And, and as we move along in this doxology of praise and all of who God is, Paul is asking three rhetorical questions here. He's not really expecting an answer. He, in some ways, really already knows the answer. He's, and what he's doing, he's actually cross-examining the glory of God. That's what happens when a, a lawyer cross-examines. He already knows the answers he's, he's asking or thinks he, he knows the answers. But Paul knows. What are these questions? Number one, who has known the mind of God? Who has been God's counselor? Who is God in debt to? Have you known the mind of God? I mean, think about it. Who counsels God? Who counsels the one who knows all things? Now, if I said that or you said that, we would think ourselves to be quite stuck up. But when you know all things and you've created all things, who can counsel you? Who can know your mind? It is vast and infinite. And who does God owe? No one. There is no one that God owes. Who owes God? Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day. Every day.